Lewis Hamilton extends his title lead over Max Verstappen in Portugal, but as Mercedes recaptured the ascendancy over Red Bull Racing. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Amanato and welcome to Round 3, the Portuguese Grand Prix for Heeltread.com. Socks inspired by iconic cars. Use the code word STRATEGY for 10% off. Lewis Hamilton didn't take pole and dropped to third at the safety car restart, but what came next was a typically faultless drive for the reigning world champion. His momentum after those opening laps was undeniable, and a couple of decisive overtakes had him in the lead before the pit stops for a surprisingly straightforward victory. The margins were fine, but the Briton was in control in the tricky track conditions no matter the tie-up, and by the end of the race it felt like Mercedes had taken another step forward in the fight for the title. What was behind Hamilton's peerless Portimao performance? Let's find out with this week's guest. From Racer Magazine, it's Chris Medland. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, mate. How are you? I'm doing fine. Account continues. Three races, championship still alive. How could we possibly complain? I know, it's perfect, isn't it? I mean, it's a thriller. <laughs> it's going right down to the wire of at least the fourth round. Um <laughs> And to be fair, I think after this weekend, there was a few people going, oh, like you said, Lewis made it look a bit easy at times. Maybe this is the start of Mercedes dominating. But I think Red Bull actually left strangely encouraged that they were so close to Mercedes on a track they thought they might struggle at times that this bodes well for them this year. So maybe it'll go five rounds before we start to worry. (laughs) Incredible. Absolutely unprecedented territory. (laughs) I do want to start there, though, because this was... Look, we say this about every race, and we'll explain why a little bit later on, but there are so many reasons to say not representative in various aspects. But there were certainly those who felt like, particularly the outcome and at times of this race, that this was almost a little bit of a vintage 2019, you could pick any of the last seven years, but let's say vintage 2019, 2020, Lewis Hamilton seemed to just have pace that certainly Valtteri Bottas didn't have in the same machinery and even that Max didn't seem to have in that first stint in the Red Bull racing car. Combined with the fact that it feels like the trajectory since preseason testing has been pretty good for Mercedes. Obviously, the reigning world championship uh, team means you have a lot of faith in their ability to do that. Should we continue to feel as though this is going to continue to be a close championship? Or or can we allow ourselves to be a little bit worried that Mercedes is actually building up to something here? I'm actually swaying towards that we can continue to be pretty confident that it's going to be a close one. Because I think, one... There was times last year that the gap was way bigger. We saw it, you know, we weren't in Austria going, oh, this is going to be a great fight all year. But then Max was pretty damn close for a spell and he'd, and he'd failed to score in the first race. So that dropped him straight away from the leaders. But he picked up the odd win here and there that said, okay, maybe they can be a threat if they keep it clean. Whereas this year he started so much better and he's only what, eight points behind Lewis after these first three. So I think based on that, it's just he's, Max is going to be such a consistent scorer, it looks like. Uh, if reliability gets in the way, I mean, there's not a lot we can do about that. But so far, that looks okay. Uh, and both teams are not going to push their development hugely this year. So there's even if Mercedes creep away a little bit more, there's an early, early cutoff point for that before everyone's focused on 2022 and you stop seeing the work come through on these cars. So I'm still on the optimistic confident fence so uh, you can remind me when I, that I said that the next time I'm on and it's all going to pop it is a, the development argument is a very good point that's the thing that's sort of keeping me optimistic so far as well but this track in particular is one that maybe we shouldn't base too much of the form guide on not only for the track itself but the conditions that greeted us this year similar to actually last year still quite slippery it had been resurfaced not long before last year's race it was less oily but still not giving a lot of grip and really windy. I feel like that's all anyone could talk about was the wind. Plenty of shots of 
flapping flags on the television, that kind of stuff. I mean, Lewis Hamilton talked about how challenging it was, especially after the race, to keep that consistency. Uh, we don't want to use the phrase, it's the same for everybody, but I guess it kind of was. But is it fair to say that that's the driver proving influential in this race? Was this a real driver's race, as it kind of was last season as well? Yeah, I'd say it was. We were looking at actually really fine margins and tiny little mistakes that proved crucial this weekend. If we look at what Max did on Saturday, and it turned out, you know, it didn't really look like Red Bull actually were in the mix for pole, or, you know, they were the underdog, I thought, by the end of Q2. And then the first Q3 run, Max should have been on pole, but a little snap of oversteer at turn four, runs wide, lap time deleted. You could say unlucky, but if you're going too quickly through the corner, you might get oversteer. Uh, but then that would have been good enough for pole position. In the end, he has to start third. You know, if he's starting on pole, maybe it's a different matter, especially with Bottas ahead of Lewis. So that automatically put him on the back foot. And then again, he got himself into a position to get ahead of Lewis in the race, made a little mistake at turn 14, Lewis gets him back. And they're all small margins. Again, on the final lap, goes wide at turn 14, loses what would have been a fastest lap and an extra point. That could prove crucial at the end of the year. So they're, they're tiny things, but if he'd got all three the right way round, he might well have been looking at pole, fastest lap and race win. So, I mean, that's a huge different like discussion we'd then be having today. So um, that's how crucial these little moments can be. Certainly Red Bull Racing does feel like they've lost all of those things, a pole, a fastest lap and a race win through track limits. So I'm looking forward to that rivalry episode on Drive to Survive, Red Bull versus... <laughs> White lines on the road. <laughs> cracking episode, I reckon. There was, a, I guess, a, a subsequent part of this track, which is just the smoothness of the track. Maybe over years it will evolve a little bit if we continue to come here anyway, given it's been an emergency race twice in a row. But that's had an interesting effect on the tyres. There was not really very much degradation, not really very much wear either. Probably brought the hardest compounds as well in the range. And I thought this was quite interesting because at the start of the weekend, Lewis Hamilton said, well, it's terrible. They brought the hardest tyres in the range. They're not suited to this track. They're giving us nothing. On Sunday night, he said, how great is it Pirelli brought the hardest tyres? We pushed the whole race because there's no degradation or wear. On the other hand, Max Verstappen seemed to say every day that he hated being there and that it was not enjoying the experience at all. Can we learn anything from that, I guess, is a bigger question about Formula 1 other than... I mean, it must suck to be Pirelli every weekend. Yeah, the other thing to learn is don't listen to the drivers yeah. um, because they do say this. It's it, I find it hilarious that they're quite often really critical up front um, or revisionist. And then afterwards, <laughs> they're like, oh, well, that was obviously going to happen. And it's like, well, you didn't say that before. Um, they never seem to quite get it right. But the one thing with Lewis as well is if he'd have been stuck in third and not been able to overtake, but you know the tires had run to the end. He'd probably then complain that they were too robust, that they were all able just to go flat out. And there was no kind of jeopardy or risk. You didn't have to do any management. And you know Formula One normally is about the whole package of managing it. So it does depend on who's finished where. I thought it's quite interesting to hear Max actually at, at the end of it all say that he did enjoy the fact that it was nearly flat out racing at least, and that he was fighting with the two Mercedes and, and able to go quickly. So uh, that side of it was very good. It was interesting as well that it was the hardest compound, mm -hmm. the one that Lewis was most vocal about on <laughs> Thursday and Friday about being terrible. That was the, the race tyre that made it so good for them. So um, yeah, you can just never keep them happy really. And, and to be fair, I'm not sure Pirelli would have said on Thursday either, this will give you a great race. They probably were like, this is <laughs> with the boundaries we know, the safe bet that we have to go with. Because if the track had gripped up a bit more mm. over the, the few months before, as a few drivers had hoped it had or expected it to have, then maybe those compounds would have been more crucial because of the length of some of the corners. So um, it was understandable why they went that way. But I think Max said he, he watched MotoGP there a few weeks before just to check and saw that they were still struggling. So he knew it was going to be tough. The tyres, and I, there were some interesting comparisons between this year and last year's race. The tyres being kind of 
a bit odd, a little bit unpredictable in the way they interacted with this track is one of the key ones. The other one being that Hamilton didn't seem too bothered by it when the race came around. Conditions were a little bit different. There was less greasy, as I said. It was warmer this year. There wasn't that rain that was around on Sunday, as was the case last year. And, of course, the gaps between Mercedes and Red Bull much closer this year. But again, coming back to that point, Hamilton just seemed to be able to overcome that unpredictability, I suppose, from qualifying in the race. We got a hint of that in Q2, didn't we? That was actually the fastest lap of qualifying his lap on the medium, not even on the soft tyre. Is this sort of like a a secret weapon of Hamilton's his ability to, to whisper to these tyres is something that none of the other drivers, despite, again, using this phrase, it's all the same for everybody, seem to manage to do, considering we were here only six months ago, they should have had a little bit of relevant knowledge. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right. It's something that Lewis has been excellent at um, for a number of years. But if you think, I, I'm, I can recall Mexico, I want to say it was 2019, um, and Seb was saying just how great Lewis is at looking after tyres and how... Um, if you want a massage, you want it from Lewis in the way that he looks after his tyres sort of thing. He said he's just so delicate with them. And we've, we've seen it a number of times in, with different rubber as well. I think Hamilton's biggest strength, actually, could well be his adaptability on the fly in a race. Whatever the situation calls for, the way he quickly works it out and understands, OK, this, this is the best way to get to the end the quickest. Whereas I think for other drivers, it's not that they don't have that ability, but they don't nail it nine times out of ten. And, and Lewis does. I mean, if you think that's Turkey as well, you know, wearing down the Inters to, until they basically became slicks and making them work. Instead of them getting to a point where he goes, well, they're now terrible, I need to pit. He wore them down to a point that he went, if I keep going, or, you know, there's a feeling here that I can make these a set, a set of tires that I can run to the end of the race. Uh, and yeah, it's something he did in Portugal last year as well. Don't forget, he was in a very similar position. I think he overtook Valtteri on the exact same lap mm-hmm. in both races, lap 20. Uh, so he clearly just had a kind of a feel with this track as well. How do I, you know, it, it obviously wasn't fun in qualifying. It, you couldn't push in, in the way that drivers like to a Formula One car around a circuit with low grip. But when it comes to the race and, and your only references are not the lap times, but they're the cars around you, that's where I think Hamilton comes into his own. And yeah, that's definitely um, a, a key aspect of why he's able to win races like this. Let's talk about the start of that race because I think that's where he really was able to show that ability off. After qualifying was Bottas, Hamilton and Verstappen. They got away uh, off the line in that order. At the safety car restart on lap seven, Verstappen jumped him for second place. Had it only for a couple of laps though. Partly because, of course, Verstappen made a mistake through turn 14. Went a little bit wide, a little bit squirrely, allowed Hamilton to slip past him. But there was this sense from that moment on up until he passed Bottas another 10 laps later that there was this momentum building, this understanding of that medium compound tyre, which again weirdly seemed to be the faster tyre of this weekend. How is it that, I mean, we've sort of talked about it there, isn't it? It's this adaptability aspect, but it seemed like he was in almost a little bit of a different category, getting pace out of the same tyres that didn't seem to exist, first of all, in Max Verstappen's car, and maybe we can say the Mercedes car works its tyres a little bit differently. We've seen that the last couple of weekends, but Valtteri Bottas, on the other hand, mystified that he couldn't do the same thing. Is it something inherent in that Mercedes car being almost too gentle on its tyres, if you like, needing to be manhandled? Uh, maybe a little, because there has been times that Valtteri's definitely struggled with that uh, and switching them on and then and keeping them in that window. And I think that's something Lewis does well. I actually think we shouldn't overlook the fact that because Lewis was third on the road for a spell, was he would have been watching exactly the way that both Max and Valtteri were driving their approach. Therefore, where he was maybe a little bit weaker, where he was a little bit stronger, because they ran sort of no to tell for quite a few laps. They were, they were really close. Uh, and clearly the circuit then allowed 
them to follow each other more closely without overheating and having to drop back. So then you can just learn a bit more. Your tires aren't dropping off a cliff by being too close to the car in front. So I think he actually did a bit of that. Like you said, Max then opened the door because of the slight error at turn 14. And it was only slight, but that just showed that when you've got drivers so close together and and pushing as hard as they were, because all three as well moved ahead of Lando Norris very quickly. They they dropped him massively. I think when Checker got past it only been around 10 laps that he'd been stuck there, but he had lost 10 seconds in that time. Um, so those three had gone. And I think that showed just the limits they were they were pushing to. So Lewis was just looking at where everyone else was strong and weak and, and could then adapt to that as well. Um, and don't forget, he is more experienced than both of those guys uh, across all sorts of rubber, but that will help in Formula One machinery. Um, and he's also got knowledge of what does work because that's why he's got so many wins. So he kind of will have called on past experiences. Maybe even Portugal last year just would have come to him naturally where, where he felt he was stronger or certain things that he did that helped him win that race. Uh, and he instantly can fall back to them in a bit more of a natural way. Whereas the other two are, are maybe thinking, what did Lewis do that, that worked last year? So that that's also in a way an advantage, but obviously that's because he's so good. So uh, yeah, I think it did, it did show the way that he was able to do that just, just by sitting there and sitting so closely. Um, Cause Valtteri wasn't massively off his pace in that first. Didn't. If you look, it took Lewis a few laps to get past mm. him, but then he didn't disappear up the road. He was still within range. So I think that also showed it was, it was small margins that, that again were the difference, but they were in Hamilton's favor over the other two. The battle with Bottas, I think is an interesting one. As you said, you can kind of, uh, excuse if you like an easy overpass on a overtake on another car especially when Verstappen did have a little bit of a moment just because the dynamics of those cars were different and Verstappen did seem to struggle a little bit in a straight line relative to the Mercedes in the race Bottas as you said took him longer to catch up to him I thought the overtake though was really interesting it was I mean it's it's not unusual to say an overtake from Lewis Hamilton is decisive but there was clearly no even hint of waiting and seeing or thinking in this move came from a long way back. I'm not even convinced Valtteri Bottas knew it was going to happen and he had a weird kind of defensive reaction as a result of that. I mean, that what, what was your read on that overtake it, sort of in, a, in itself? Because it, it wasn't really like a, a long game kind of overtake, wasn't it? It was a, a real in-the-moment kind of thing considering we were at lap 20. Yeah, I think this is one of the things where we can actually pinpoint another one of Hamilton's strengths was his understanding that the tyres are only going to give him good enough mm-hmm. performance that close to the same car for a short window. And he said, I had to get it done basically at the first opportunity because the longer I sat there, you know, if I didn't do it on that lap, the chance of pulling off the next lap was lower and it would just get lower with each lap after that. So yeah, he did have to go for it quickly, um, which is different to other times when I think we've seen him completely dominant over Valtteri and he can just you know pick his moment. This was one where they were closely enough matched in the same car, as you say, with, with without the differences of machinery uh, that he needed to get it done uh, instantly. But it was probably the, dare I say it, Lando Norris's pass aside on uh, early on, I think at turn 11, um, on, I want to say, Sainz or Leclerc, um, but Norris pulled a lovely move around the outside there. I think this move from Hamilton was the next best move of the race because as they approached turn one, as the track dipped down and it flattens, normally most cars that were doing the overtaking were ahead by that point anyway. And you knew the car behind was yielding into a very quick corner. At that point, they were side by side and you were like, uh, are they going to try and go side by side through this corner? Uh, and I'm not sure how much space Lewis left, but you could also see that Valtteri probably wary of what happened at Imola, but certainly wary of the fact it was his teammate and it could all go horrifically wrong, knew that from there with the momentum, Hamilton was going to try and he had to be careful himself. Um, I thought it was actually really well raced by both. 
because that could have wrecked both their races at that point, um, whereas Valtteri very nearly came back to make it a one-two. So um, that was actually quite clean and nice. But yeah, it, it did show there was there was higher risk in that than I think most other overtakes we saw at that corner on the day. And that was between two teammates. So it shows how decisive Lewis felt he had to be. And I guess speaks to a certain confidence he had at that point, knowing what was underneath him. He said, of course, he knew that the grip, the grip was going to be limited. However limited it ended up being, he couldn't be sure at that point, but had to get it done. I want to talk briefly about Bottas's role here, not just in this overtake, but a little bit of a bigger picture question in terms of his role in the championship. He's 37 points behind Hamilton, I think it is now. He's 28 going into this race. Admittedly, of course, he had the retirement last round, but that's just the way it falls. And we're only three rounds into what is going to be up to a 23-round championship. I thought it was interesting. We heard Toto Wolff on the radio uh, giving him some encouragement, although I guess it's up to you to interpret what kind of encouragement it was. Bottas suggested it was positive. Others suggested it didn't sound that positive, but whatever the case, that's the way it was. If this championship is going to be as close as it looks like it is going to be, is it inevitable that Bottas is going to have to accept that he will be either pushed around by Hamilton a little bit on the track or ordered to be pushed around by Hamilton a little bit on the track? Because... The gap is kind of large, and so far he hasn't shown that he's Bottas 4 or 5.0 as he would have to be this season. Yeah, what number are we up to now? Um, I, I think you're right in the sense he's going to have to accept Lewis is going to be as firm with him as he is pretty much with any other driver on the track because that battle with Max is going to be so close. It, you know, I mean, Checo looks like a, a better proposition for Red Bull this year and, and that they'll pick up more points with that pairing, but it's still clearly Max picking up the points for that team that's going to fight for the Drivers' Championship. And I think Toto's message on the radio to Valtteri was positive, but I think some of his stuff that he said afterwards was a little bit more negative in that he's talking about the two lead drivers and how they are fighting for a world championship and, and Valtteri wasn't really mentioned in that. So I think Valtteri's got to be aware that Lewis can't afford to have a race where they have a where they cruise home 1-2 and the team's really happy and he's second in that because that really won't happen at Red Bull, or it's very unlikely to happen. Um, one, because I just don't think Checo is going to get up to speed enough to to stay close enough to Max in the first part of the season before Red Bull then go, this is our chance to win a title. Checo's on a one-year deal, so needs to do whatever he can to keep that seat. And they turn around to him and say, look, we, we know you're capable of more, or you know, you're doing exactly what we need you to do. But if we're going to win this championship, we now need you to play second fiddle here. I don't think Merck are going to say that to Bottas, uh, certainly not until much later in the year. So he's going to see Lewis take that control on track so yeah he's gonna to need to get his elbows out a little bit as well which we tough we've seen drivers get that wrong um sort of Rosberg in wheel-to-wheel combat with Lewis tended to sometimes get it a bit wrong um it's not always easy when you're trying to you're trying to intimidate your teammate but not cause an accident it's it's a really fine line and and Lewis seems to just get it perfect pretty much every time if we're honest uh Valtteri will need to find it because we haven't just really seen it from him so yeah that's gonna be a big big challenge for him in the in the first part of the year especially before it maybe is too late I thought we had a great potential opportunity with this race with the top four drivers starting on the same tyre that we would have had to see some of that politics play out, given everyone theoretically was on the same strategy. They were going to do something different. That was going to be a really conscious choice. Someone was going to take the supposedly slower strategy or play the defensive role. We didn't see that pan out, as you said, because Sergio, in part because Sergio Perez was not quite on the pace, got stuck behind Lando Norris early. Perez, though, offset strategy. Uh, he ran quite long on the on his opening stint before switching to the soft late in the race. Did trigger a kind of uh, postscript to this Grand Prix, which was the battle for the fastest lap. 
Perez was in a good position to do that, obviously having the soft tyres on him at the time. Uh, but that meant the Valtteri Bottas could have a free pit stop worth of uh, a free pit stop window to do it himself. Max Verstappen then did the same thing. As we said earlier, Verstappen had the fastest lap but didn't get the point for the time was deleted. The fastest lap thing, I think, is kind of interesting. We've not thought about it too much in the last couple of years because it's never ultimately been decisive, has it? This is a year in which it might be. We've been talking about fine margins so far this race. How do you think the reaction will be if these fastest laps really do decide some of the big prizes at the end of the year? I think it'll depend in the way it does it. I think because we've had a race like this early on where clearly it was valued by drivers in the championship fight because, you know, Max came in, what, start the penultimate lap to switch tyres because Valtteri had. And, and it was a risk, you know. You could have thought, right, you've got two laps to cruise to the end here in a clean second that you looked under threat from at one point. And instead, they were like, no, we need that point if we can get it. So I think the fact that that so early was prioritised shows that both teams are aware of it. Lewis even asked, didn't he, if, if he should try on his final lap, but felt it wasn't worth the risk mm. seeing as where he'd come from on track. He said afterwards that having been third, getting up to the win was kind of a, a he, he was taking his lot at that point, where there's other races he feels like it is worth the risk. Uh, I think if it comes down to a, a strange shootout, like I think Formula E had it a few years ago, where you had the two title protagonists completely out of the race, um, laps down after incidents, but got their cars repaired to go back out to just chase the fastest lap, pit, like recharge. It was really strange. Um, you don't want a situation like that. So obviously it's good that the rule says they've got to be in the top 10. So you've got to have competitive racing going on to get that point. Um, it would be weird if you were just watching two drivers not fighting for the position on track, but fighting for a point somewhere. But I can't see that playing out then um, based on the fact that you have to already be scoring to get the extra point. So um, I think it's going to be a good thing. I think it did throw in an added little um, aspect to Portugal. I think it will at other races too. Um, and it, there is jeopardy in it. I mean, if you think if, say, Bottas had come in for that pit stop and it had gone badly, or even worse for Red Bull's point of view, Max had come in thinking, right, now Valtteri's out the way, we can do it. And they'd had an issue. Like, I mean, say your wheel doesn't go on properly, you're out of the race. It's not just one position you're going to lose. So there are risks like involved with it. And I think actually that's that's quite good. A race that's probably going to peter out into you know the top three, five seconds apart suddenly could have had a hugely dramatic ending thanks to this rule. So um, and it's still done on sporting merit, isn't it? Who can get around the track quickest um, in the car when it's kind of at its lightest and its best if you put on the tires. But if you don't do the extra stop, then in a trickier to handle car, um, yeah, I think it's quite a cool thing that hopefully will be more positive than negative. Yeah, I think it's interesting, these ideas that the sport's come up with over the last couple of years in, you know, while Mercedes has had a a very firm hold on the championship and Lewis Hamilton too, and I'm even thinking now of the sprint races we're going to have this year, it almost feels like they've all been dreamt up in in almost a testbed environment because it's never really mattered to the championship outcome, but now we're sort of, the chances are it could actually affect something, and it's going to be interesting. Who ever thought these rules would actually come into effect? So... (laughs) I can't wait to see if it does play a role. Wait and see how we get there. Uh, That was the way that the front battle panned out, though, was Lewis Hamilton winning the race ahead of Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas, who couldn't get past Verstappen after a sensor problem in his exhaust, but he would have had to do the overtake anyway. Sergio Perez finished fourth. The battle for best of the rest, as it's uh, maybe a little bit unfairly known, uh, came down to Lando Norris looking kind of comfortable in that position, as he has done for the last three races, in fact. But I thought what was interesting about this battle was that the moment of tension came around the pit stop window, of course, lap 21, triggered by Carlos Sainz, who was having a pretty good weekend up until this point, actually qualified, out-qualified Charles Leclerc, qualified quite strongly. 
But he went on from the soft tyre as he'd qualified on to the medium tyre. Proved to be the downfall of what was quite a good race at that point. Had no pace at all in it. Said he pushed too hard early on and that kind of killed it. But weird that Charles Leclerc started on the medium tyre and Ferrari had good visibility this tyre was not working with that car. Was this just a classic Ferrari strategic decision? A mistake, one might call it? Or was there reason to be more optimistic about that? I think there was reason to be more optimistic. It is one of those now, they'll do the debrief and you probably go, well, mm-hmm. listen to the other driver. Like, Take that advice on board and, and kind of, in a sense, play it safe. At that point as well, you've seen other cars come in and go to the hard, so you're not losing anything compared to anyone. And with Sainz, all Fry needed to do realistically was kind of match everybody because he was in a good position. It wasn't like they were chasing the race at that stage. Um, I mean, his fall from grace in the final laps was, was pretty spectacular, which was mm. kind of painful to watch because he'd had a good weekend up to there. But um, admittedly, pre-race, I think everyone felt that the quickest route round was starting the soft, switch to the mediums, kind of in that. It was a pretty big window, wasn't it? From sort of like even maybe as early as lap 15 to maybe lap 25, if you could extend that long. And, and then the, the mediums should be okay. But because the hards worked well, that meant the mediums dropping off slightly was kind of more pronounced at that point and and so maybe ferrari can look at it afterwards with you know more clarity but they probably should just played it more safe at that stage i think it was um i think there was a a bit of a concern over the warm-up of the hard for a few teams they thought that that opening lap you know maybe the undercut wouldn't be so powerful and we actually would be under threat if once we come out of anyone that's coming on us quickly, uh, as we saw with Verstappen and Bottas when Verstappen got ahead because, okay, Bottas kept track position, but the tyres were, were a little bit slow to warm up. But it was only for one sector, really. I think um, Mercedes said to Hamilton when he came out, you know, you might be a bit cold for the first sector and then you should be good. Once everyone found that out as well, it made the harder, safer bet. So, yeah, it was it was a, uh, it was a mistake from Ferrari, but they weren't alone. I mean, Gasly got sights at the end and he also did the second stint on the medium. You could make it work. I think you just had to be aware of the risk that Ferrari weren't. In fact, Lando Norris did make it work ahead of Charles Leclerc, who went medium to hard, as we said, uh, for the best of the rest positions, I suppose. And Esteban Ocon, quite a good race, soft to hard as well. Uh, I want to talk briefly, of course, about Fernando Alonso and Daniel Ricciardo, the two big gainers in the race after qualifying out of position, 13th and 16th, Alonso and Ricciardo did. Ran really long first stints, laps 40 to 41 on the medium, switched to the hard. Uh, there was a little bit more on the table, I feel like, for Daniel Ricciardo here. Had a bit of a slow stop and got stuck behind Pierre Gasly as a result uh, of this one. But I also am interested to know what you think here because they essentially went with the same strategies everyone outside the top 10 did. Most of the bottom 10 started on that medium tyre. It was sort of the safe bet, the flexible bet. But no one tried anything different, either the soft for a quick start. We remember last year some of the great launches. Kimi Raikkonen was one of them and Carlos Sainz, of course. Or the hard, just to try something different. Are you surprised that this wasn't a gamble anyone seemed to look into? Yeah, I really was. I think, was it um, Lance Stroll started on the soft? And I'm trying to remember who else. There was one other. Kimi Raikkonen, I think it was. That was it, Kimi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, who made, made it a whole lap. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Too much grip, judging by that accident. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just the, the drive he got out the final corner, incredible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that was a shame that we didn't see how it played out for Kimi. For Stroll, he ran long, but he just didn't run particularly quickly. Um but yeah, I, I did expect a few more to go on the soft based on last year. Obviously, we didn't have the same weather forecast, so we weren't expecting um, the rain at the start of the race. But then again, we weren't certain we were going to get it a year ago either, so um, or only a few months ago. So that, there was a, a bit of surprise on that. Uh, the flip side was, even though that opening spell was really exciting for the drivers on the softs, 
they then faded last year and the guys on the mediums got them up to temperature and, and came through and everything kind of stabilized pretty quickly. So it didn't actually have as big an impact as it could have. It just, it, we remember the bit that it did affect, but it overall, when you look at the whole race, I don't think it actually had a huge advantage, which is maybe why fewer went for that. Um, yeah. The lack of a runner on the hard though actually surprised me. It was, it was kind of understandable at, based on some of the stuff we'd seen earlier in the weekend. But then if you're, if you're far enough back and you're going to gamble, I actually thought that was the way to go because everyone seemed to think, well, the safe bet will be if we have to stop early, we go to the hard tyre. That will run us to the end of the race. So why not start on it and see what everyone else does, basically, how tough the soft is, how tough the medium is, and run as long as you can. Only Kevin Magnussen tried it last year for Haas, and it didn't really hurt him. He beat his teammate in that race. Um, they'll have had enough info from that. Maybe Haas were the sort of team that would have tried it. And with the two rookies, they thought too much of a risk early on to have them racing on the hard in, you know, on high fuel in the pack like that. But I, I don't know. It, it did surprise me that someone didn't go with that curveball because um, it, it just felt like it would have been worth doing. And it's easier to say now, but when you see how good the hard was as a race tire, I think it really would have paid off for someone. It is surprising considering we know the data gathered on Friday were in cooler conditions. And, and that makes sense as to the expectations. Maybe the hard would not play as much of a role in this race as it ultimately did. But seeing a Fairly nice day on Sunday, surprising no one wanted to at least give it a go to think about it, as you say, as a, even a long shot gamble. Uh, a little bit of a shame because as we know, the hard tie was pretty much the spine of this race for most drivers anyway. Just to wrap up on a bit of a broader question here, we've been to Portugal now twice in about six months. Uh, it's close enough that almost the track didn't change all that much and we didn't expect to be here either. And who knows if we'll be here next year or in future years. You just can't predict anything. But it strikes me that the results we've had over the last two years of this track, okay, well, Hamilton has won. That doesn't sound so unusual. The way we've got there has been a bit different. You know, teams and drivers have struggled to understand the tyres, the grip levels of the track and all that kind of thing. Is this sort of a good reason for Formula 1 perhaps to use as justification to, and has been going around sort of in the news recently, the idea of maybe rotating certain numbers of tracks to get some variety on the calendar to keep teams and drivers on their toes in a way they're not when they've been to tracks they've been racing out for decades. You know, Spain is coming up next. Everybody knows how that track works. Is this a good reason for F1 to look into a little bit more variety just for that spectacle element? Yeah, I definitely believe so. I think if we look at the way the calendar's going and, and having more and more races, you could say, well, then that kind of clouds things because they have to deal with different challenges. But then that gives them so much more data to look at when they're struggling at a track and they go, what's similar of oh, this corner at this venue that we've been to? And if you've got 23 different venues, you can probably piece together a corner from each to make any layout on the circuit, on the calendar. So you're going to learn a lot more quickly that way. And I think that's one of my kind of bugbears with Formula One is that we rely so much on data and simulation and trying to get things perfect for these machines that you lose some of that variety and unpredictability sometimes. And, and that's what makes the sport more exciting is when you don't know what's about to happen. Whereas understandably, the engineers want it all perfect. And, you know, we've got... We're so well prepared. I mean, we look at Alpine. Alpine did well this weekend and said they hit the ground running. They Their baseline setup on Friday, FP1, first lap was bang on and they barely changed it. And that does show how the preparations can play such a big role in the final result. But it's for the teams that don't have that. If everyone starts with confusion, then it, it's more exciting to watch. Like you say, even if you get to the same end result, as, as you get there, it, it's more enticing. So yeah, I think the rotation would mean that they can't just turn around and go, well, six months ago this happened or last year that happened. Uh, they don't get a huge data bank from years and years and years at the same venue. Um, even naturally, if you think, if you only go every other year, 
then the rotation of staff will mean that there's only half as much experience and knowledge that they're going to get. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be a, a positive thing. I think Zach Brown was pushing for it this weekend. I think it would help F1 go to new markets as well. It would mean you could also try some venues that maybe wouldn't work and we'd be sat here going, wow, that was terrible. But it's a one-off, you know, it's not, you haven't signed a, a 20 year multi-million pound deal for the money and then found that actually it's going to make terrible racing. So yeah, that, that would add flexibility in many ways, I think, and, and would help in a sporting sense. It would help in a financial sense because you have more venues that are then are paying you in different ways. Um, and it would just be more entertaining and have that variety, keep it fresh. So um, yeah, let's get it done. You, you can pitch that one to the, to the bosses. And just before we wrap this one up, Chris, the strategy report is being supported by Heel Tread. Socks designed in the patterns of iconic cars, inspired by iconic cars. And aren't you lucky? The first person who's going to get a free pair for being on the show. Well done. Didn't even know that before you said yes. Very good. Points to you. Uh, and you get to choose a pair. You get to choose a pair. So I'm interested in what you chose. Well, firstly, this is why my productivity this weekend has been so poor. I mean, admittedly, <laughs> there was a social media boycott going on in the UK, which I took part in, but it was also to buy myself some time to look at this uh, at this website to understand which ones I wanted. But actually, uh, it was quite an easy choice for me in the end. I've gone for the FW16 socks, the uh, the Williams ones, because that Rothman's livery was like iconic 90s F1 to me. And I remember waking up really early, watching races in Australia of all places um, <laughs> and and seeing seeing Jack Villeneuve spray oil over Damon Hill's rear wing. <laughs> like that livery jumps out at me and this this encapsulates that. So yeah, I've gone for the FW16 ones. Excellent choice. They'll be less oily when they arrive, I'm almost <laughs> certain. But who knows with the state of parcel package these days in the times of COVID. But a superb choice. Chris, uh, an interesting race, interesting third chapter in this championship battle. And before you know it, we'll be in Spain and seeing what happens next. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to be on. Thank you very much, mate. The Portuguese Grand Prix may not have been an action-packed classic, but another wheel-to-wheel battle between our title contenders made it no less important a chapter in this year's unpredictable title fight. Thanks very much to Chris Medland from Racer Magazine for joining me. The Strategy Report is supported by Heeltread, socks inspired by iconic cars. Go to heeltread.com and use the code word STRATEGY for a 10% discount. Make sure you never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google, Apple, Spotify or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll be back next week to debrief the Spanish Grand Prix.